Small towns, just like the one I grew up in, seem to have many strange crimes, unsolved mysteries, folklore, and even the strange story of something going bump in the night. Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true small town horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here. Native American Burial Grounds by Addie A. My grandpa owns 88 acres in a small town in North Carolina. I was born and raised in that town and still live there. Anyway, this was the place to be for everything. We had my uncle's wedding there, four-wheelers, bulldozers, tractors, trucks, and so much more. One time at about 5 p.m., I was driving my four-wheeler in the woods by the house he had built on the property, about 40 feet away from the side of the house. I was going down the trail, obviously looking in front of me, not looking around because I've seen it a thousand times before. It was getting a little dark, and the trees were inches away from me, but I was looking ahead, and I saw something. It was a dark figure dashing across the trail about 10 feet in front of me. Immediately I thought, oh my god, I'm going to be on a Dateline episode. I know, such a stupid thought, especially when you see something like that. So I stopped the four-wheeler, and only seconds later would I find myself flying pedal to the metal. I sprinted back to the house and told my dad and grandpa what I saw, and I distinctly remember him getting on one knee and whispering, Addie, you need to listen to me. Did this figure see you? I don't think so, I said. Then he went on, I need to show you something. I was too scared to go right then, even if it was with my grandpa and dad, so they agreed to show me the next day. So the next day, my grandpa and dad led me to the clearing. My grandpa told me not to take another step. Immediately, I thought there was a snake I was about to step on, but my grandpa pointed to the ground. This is a native burial ground. I was shocked. Then he finished. What you saw was a spirit of one of these Cherokee natives. My heart dropped to my stomach. I continued to drive my four-wheeler around the trails, just steering clear of that clearing. Now, I know this sounds fake, but I swear to my life, it's not. It was one of the most frightening two days of my life. The Cage in the Wood by Yes, I'm Fluffy 99 at the time, I was a 20-year-old female who had just moved to a small upstate town. I had grown up in a slightly larger town about 60 miles away and just wanted a new start. I love camping and often go camping in the Adirondacks, but at the time, I hadn't yet made friends to go camping with, so I wasn't going to go into the real woods alone, if you know what I mean. Down the road from me, I had been walking around and found an area where the power lines cut through a wooded section. The power lines were perpendicular to the road. It was near a house, but far enough to the right to the place where I don't think anybody would see me if they were walking the trail that the power lines made. I'm not sure about other countries, but in the United States, they keep power lines clear in case of maintenance. So I wander up there, noticing how it's pretty deep woods, and how far I can get away from the house that I saw on the road they couldn't possibly think I'm trying to break in. And then, bing, I get an idea. I could go camping up here. It's secluded enough to give the natural woods experience but close enough to the road that I wouldn't be in danger of wildlife or anything like that. So, I do. I set up camp in this little clearing that I accessed by climbing the hill, following the power lines, then turned left onto what seemed to be some sort of deer trail. Deer are absolutely everywhere in New York. 
Then I came upon this lovely flat grassy clearing. After clearing the dead wood away, I built my fire off to the side. I'm feeling brilliant and independent. It was creepy to sleep in the woods alone, sure, as I had always had at least one camping companion. But hey, whatever. New experiences build new skills, you know? I wandered further down the path the next day to see where it led. I walked for about an hour, and I can see some fields on the right, but they are in the distance, and there is a fence between the fields and the path. So again, I figure people can't be mad for me being here. Then I come across another path. Heading to the right, I follow it. A couple of feet in, it curves slightly, and there's an old van to the left of the path. Well, that's strange, but it's about 1pm near noon anyway, in broad daylight, and the birds are chirping so I don't really feel in danger. I go up to the van, which had been there for a very long time, clearly. It was like a 70s style make, it made me kind of think of Scooby-Doo, and there were overgrown weeds all around it. There are streaks of brownish red going down the side from the bottom of the doors. I looked in and saw what appeared to be an old bedding or something in the back, but it was all shredded up and the curtains in the windows were shredded as well. There was clothing strewn about it looked like the clothing was from the 70s or early 80s. I still felt no danger per se. Snickering at the terrible fashions back in the day, I continued along the path for a short time until I finished rounding another slight bend. I stopped dead in my tracks. Finally, my reptile sense went off or whatever you call it. I wake the hell up and it, it, I'm just, my head is screaming at a total volume that I've never heard before. Up ahead, there is this creepy ass doll hanging from a tree by its neck with a noose, not just stuck in the trees, but just left there as it was hanging. It was terrifying, to say the least. To the right of it though, there was this huge cage-like structure, easily big enough to hold a full-sized human. It seems to be made up of pipes and other long metal objects, just welded together. Some were up, some were down, some were across, and the squares they made weren't big enough to fit my head through, let alone anything else. Not that I tried, anyway. It had four sides and a ceiling. It had other creepy-ass dolls hanging from it. It also had reddish-brown stains running down the sides, just like the van. Further behind it in the distance was a run-down house. Creeped out as hell, I just turned tail and ran. I am not a runner by any means. I am a chunky girl, and I have smoked for more than six years, and I do not run. But I ran that day. I don't even remember the run. And I remember coming up upon my campsite, grabbing my tent in one swoop as I ran past. Luckily, I had put all my things into the tent. Ripping it out of the ground as I continued running, I left my cooler, my food, and all that stuff behind. I never went back for it either, and sometimes I kind of feel bad about that though. I dropped the tent stakes along the way and had to repair rips in my tent. I tore down that hill. I'm still surprised it didn't break my neck or ankle. Jumped in my car and sped home. I locked all my doors, then paced my house going, what the hell, what the hell, what the hell, for hours. It's been 11 years since that incident, and even typing it now makes my hands shake. I currently live almost 1,400 miles away, but I still made sure my doors were locked, and they are. The crazy thing is, is I wasn't even that deep in the woods. Maybe in the 1970s it would have been, who knows. As it stands now though, people live within a short walk of this place. And no, I know you will ask, I did not call the cops. I can't articulate why. My best analysis looking back is that I didn't want the creep to find me. I should have probably called them at the very least. You are probably right there. I hope it was an old crime scene and not some sick man who still keeps people in cages in the woods. The Weird Guy by Far Divide 2510. 
At the time of this, I was a 15-year-old boy. Keep this in context that I live in a small town in southern Ontario, and crime wasn't very widespread. This happened in February 2022. There was lots of snow this year. I was excited because of the week school break. So, while my younger siblings were at school, I wasn't because I had no exams for COVID cancelling them and all that good stuff. So I was sitting at home and I decided that I wanted to go to Tim Hortons since I was craving one of their hot coffees. So I grabbed my earbuds and put on a podcast while I started walking. I believe it was either Swamp Dweller or something along those lines. So I got off my street, which keep in mind is this small road. Hence, I walked onto a longer road which took about 20 minutes to walk down to get to the main street I had to get to. Getting to Main Street, I now had to walk another 20 minutes to get to the Tim Hortons I was going to, so I continued down the road. I wasn't thinking about much, I was kind of just lost in my own head when suddenly a man in his young 20s stopped me about halfway down the road by touching my shoulder, and I was kind of shocked. I took my earbud out and looked at him. He then asked me questions that started innocently like, do you know where a cannabis place is? I said no. They then asked how old I was and I lied, saying I was 16. He then asked me if I had a phone. I said I did, but it was low battery. He asked me if I had a lighter where I was going and if I knew the bus schedule, which I lied about most things, especially where I was going. I just pointed in a direction and saying I was going over there. And then he said, okay, and crossed the street. I was so shocked. I took note of the guy just in case something happened to me. He was in his young 20s. He was wearing a flannel shirt, blue jeans, wearing a backpack, and he was African-American, about 5'10". I kept looking across the street periodically, and there he was, always walking in the same direction as me, following me from the distance, always staring at me with this weird look on his face. I then saw him go near an apartment building, so I thought I overreacted because I couldn't see him anymore. The apartment building was near Tim Hortons, so I went inside and ordered a drink. But before I got my drink, I turned around and the guy was all of a sudden there, staring at me from behind a pillar. I tried to just not freak out. Once he noticed that I saw him, he walked to the bathroom. I grabbed my drink and I walked as fast as possible into a Sobeys nearby so I could lose him. I then took extra measures walking behind a home hardware store and walking farther because I was so scared that I didn't want them to follow me home, know where I lived, or any weird stuff like that. I've listened to way too many scary story podcasts. I went to a no-frills nearby so he would never be able to find me. I was very cautious on my way back and looked at all the possibilities that could have happened. I reflected on myself and I only told close friends and family this story. You're probably wondering, why didn't you call the police? Well, that's because I didn't want to cause a problem if I needed to. And this was not necessarily a crime, you know, it's not like it's really against the law to stare at people and freak them out and follow them into establishments. I'm just lucky I got away before it got any worse. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. Now, with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to grocery stores and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit and trusted by the swamp for nearly three years straight. It's the most festive time of year and HelloFresh is here to help make the most of every moment. From holiday hosting to dinners during busy 
weeknights, you can count on HelloFresh to deliver fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes. Tis the season for saving money wherever we can. HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. So you can use those savings for holiday gifts or treat yourself. So what are you waiting for? Go to HelloFresh.com Swamped18 and use code Swamped18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. Once again, go to HelloFresh.com Swamped18 and use code Swamped18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. Join me and many others in the swamp and find out why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. The Fairy Ghost by Sonora Later in the evening, sometime around 7.30 one night, a buddy and I were bored, so we decided to go to Knight's Ferry, California. Knight's Ferry is a well-preserved, old small town on a river for tourists to whitewater raft or explore the old bridge and brick buildings, which have bars on all the entrances and windows for obvious reasons. Since it was after dark, the small village was all ours to wander and explore as we pleased. We did this for about half an hour our footsteps echoing off the looming dark old brick factories and stores. Finally, my buddy realized he had left his phone in his truck and left me near the old bridge while he went to check it. About ten minutes later, I was starting to wonder where he was, when he suddenly came jogging up to me, pale-faced, looking absolutely terrified. Through his huffing and puffing, he managed to get out that we had to leave because something had spooked the crap out of him. He waited to tell me until we were in his truck and on our way out, he told me that he had seen a shadow in the shape of a man with glowing yellow eyes standing in the doorway of one of the sidebars in the main buildings. He said that when he lit it up with his flashlight, he could see right through it. So of course, I made him turn around so I could check it out. When we got back there, he was absolutely refusing to get out of the truck. So I grabbed his flashlight and went back to the building to check it out alone. I thought I heard a few strange sounds and got chills and an eerie feeling, but unfortunately, I didn't see what he saw. I know this is a short, sweet story and it might not be that scary, but we were terrified in the moment, and I still wonder what he saw to this day that made him so scared. This guy's pretty tough and I've never really seen him scared since like that. North Dakota Horror by Andy J. This happened to some of my friends and me during the summer of 2021 after my high school graduation. I'm from a small town in North Dakota, and my buddies and I are the stereotypical rednecks of the city. You know, the type who drive loud trucks and is always armed somehow. We were doing what most teenagers do for fun in the Midwest, driving around and shooting signs. When we got low on ammunition, one of my friends, we'll call him Gary, recommends we check out this snowmobiling warming hut where he's experienced some paranormal activity. Now my buddies and I are all Christians and are very religious, but we couldn't pass up an opportunity like this either because we were also buzzed or because we were just dumb teenagers with nothing to do. So we arrive at the old shack and sit in my other buddies, who we'll call him Larry, F-150 truck. We turn off the headlights and the dash lights and look and listen. Even though I didn't believe in the paranormal at the time and was skeptical, I felt reassured that I had my AK with me. It's important to note that it is hot for a North Dakota evening and extremely dark out. We were all content, feeling good, and someone in the back seat suddenly said it felt like we were being watched. 
After he said that, I flipped the safety off my AK and tried to be aware as possible. Then he shouted, Holy crap! In the most terrified, helpless voice I'd ever heard come out of him, he tells us to look in Larry's rearview mirror. What I saw was genuinely horrifying. In this rearview mirror, this glowing white figure stands about 7 or 8 feet tall. It's only about 30 yards away from us peeking behind a tree. Larry immediately turns his truck on and throws it in reverse to get a better look, but just as abruptly as it had appeared, it was instantly gone. I fired a few rounds in its general direction and immediately after I did, the air got freezing cold. After that, Larry floored it, tearing out of there like the Dukes of Hazard. We were all spooked to our bones, but one of my buddies, we'll call him Barry, says he saw nothing. Now, the white figure was terrifying, but the creepiest part is why Barry didn't see it when all the rest of us did. Don't Follow the Faces in the Mist by S.F. Sundown Don't Follow the Faces in the Mist it was a throwaway line, but one I should have listened to. We had finished up a block of training and our instructor, a wiry man everyone called Buck, invited us out for drinks. Most of the group joined, but a few stayed along. A lot of them were locals and had places to be. I was happy to have the company. As the night wore on, Buck's stern exterior came down. It is common enough to almost be a rule that sternness comes from a place of care and concern. Though sometimes misplaced, it was not so with Buck. His job was to prepare us for what we would face in our field and provide us with the tools to execute it as rangers, and he took it seriously. I was happy to have him as a teacher. At the end of the night, we said our goodbyes. He slapped down a hand on my shoulder and took in a breath. He lifted his head with his drooping eyelids and looked at me with a sustained intensity that shook clear the clouds of drunken mind. He said, The Smoky Mountains are a remarkable place, but promise me one thing. Don't follow the voices in the mist. It took me five years before I discovered why. The call came through in the early afternoon. A kid had wandered off from the campsite a few miles down the road from the ranger station. The situation is common enough. Someone had wandered off and couldn't find their way back or had managed to get themselves stuck. The majority of these calls resolve themselves the same day. We find the person and issue stern warnings. Hell, sometimes it is all over by the time we even get there. But not always. And no one in our station needed any reminding. Posted on the notice board beside the front door is a picture of Jessica. Her photo has been there for the entire five years I have worked at the station. She went missing the summer before I started. She is still there because we never found her. Jessica's father insisted the photo stay until she was either walking back out of the forest or the alternative no one wanted to give voice to. I know that photo better than any photo of my family or friends. Six-year-old Jessica with blonde hair spilling over her shoulders, fingertips poking out the sleeves of a red puffer jacket one size too big, a pair of bright yellow boots pushing up over faded denim jeans, and a big toothy open mouth smile. Her family took the photo the day that they arrived at the campsite. When the sun set on the search, her father had a copy printed and plastered all over the surrounding town. They were the clothes she had been wearing when she wandered off during the hike the family took up to the waterfall. The copy hanging on our notice board is the only one left. We pulled up to the campsite in our truck. A woman with a bright red beanie pushed down over dark hair was upon us as soon as we got out. She had her phone pressed to her ear and stuffed it in her pocket absentmindedly when she saw us. Adrenaline made her voice shrill and pushed her words together. Kyle nodded and added a few calm words to get her on track. His voice and manner are perfect for these situations. He didn't interrupt, he didn't raise his voice, 
He only slipped in enough words to get the information we needed. Her name was Polly. She was six years old. She had been wearing a red beanie like her mother's and had faded brown jacket on. It had been passed down through the family. She had dark brown hair and brown eyes. And where was she last seen? Well, where they were hiking was up to that same waterfall and they planned to have a picnic up there. When they made it to the top, the mist had come in so thick they couldn't see anything of the view. That combined with the chill in the air convinced them to come back down. The four had walked together, mother, father, older brother Will and Polly. She had been up there with them when they made it down. On that point, both mother and father agreed, Will had shrugged his shoulders. At the campsite, the air was clear and the fall sun warmed our shoulders. Up the mountain could very well be a different story though, and it likely was, had they somehow left Polly behind the walk back. We got a vehement no. She came down off the mountain. Somehow, in the time between coming back down and setting up the picnic at the fold-out table beside the camper, Polly had wandered off. It wasn't like her, she was a good girl. As we listened, a small crowd circled us at the distance. Because it was the middle of the day, most of the campers were off walking a trail or sightseeing in one of the nearby towns. The ones that were around, elderly couples on retirement and families on holiday, picked themselves up off their deck chairs and came to see about the commotion. No one had seen little Polly though. Kyle split us into two teams. The first was to search down and around the campsite, the most likely place she would be. At the back of the campsite, a tree-lined creek meandered down the mountain. Beyond the terrain was rough, grass-covered hills and gullies filled with thick bushes. If she had ventured out there, a slip could send her tumbling into a stack of reeds and no one would see her. The second team was to go back up the trail, retrace the steps the family had taken to come down. It was unlikely, but sometimes people had what Kyle called a McAllister moment. This is when a parent is sure their child is or isn't with them, and they are wrong. It is the sort of thing that leads to parents leaving their children in cars on hot days, and famously a family named the McAllisters leaving their child home alone to stave off some would-be thieves at Christmas time. Mark and I ended up on the team heading up the trail. I'll admit I was a little disappointed. Like Kyle, I was sure Polly was somewhere around the campsite. It is a selfish thought, but on a search you always wanted to be the one who finds the person. I was sure now that it wouldn't be me. We started up the trail, leaving the campsite in the search effort behind. Before we left, the mother had shown us a photo of Polly taken up at the waterfall. I kept the picture in my head as we walked. I hope we wouldn't be adding it to the notice board. The trail was eerily quiet. I had walked it many times and always come across people powering up or coming back down. Not today. The trees surrounded us on all sides, and the world went silent. We walked slowly, scanning through the forest on either side and calling out her name. We hadn't gone far when the mist came in, thicker and faster than usual. When you live up this way, you get used to it. There's a reason they're called the Smokies after all. Before long, visibility was down to only a few yards. I stopped and looked back down the trail. It was no better than the visibility ahead. It almost seemed unnatural how quickly and completely the mist had arrived. I was about to say I had never seen anything like it when Mark took the words right out of my mouth. It was comforting that it wasn't just me. No wonder the family had turned back. The ferocity of the mist gave rise to a terrible thought. Polly may be up here in the forest somewhere. It would be easy for a child to wander off or even to stop to fumble with a stray shoelace for just long enough to get separated from her family. The parents had been sure she made it down, but then there was the McAllister effect. I called ahead to Mark, who had walked on ahead. When I received no response, I skipped a few paces to catch up. As an adult, and knowing the area as well as I did, 
There was still a moment of fear when being alone spiked in my stomach. I could only imagine what Polly was going through if she was up here all alone. Mark had stalled up on the trail ahead. He turned as he heard my footsteps and pointed out to the right. He thought he heard something. I squinted through the mist but saw nothing. He couldn't give me any other details only that something had caught the corner of his eye as soon as he was about to turn his head. I stepped into the trees and called after Polly. A few steps more and I stopped and listened. Nothing. Back on the trail, Marco was fixed in place. His face had gone pale. It moved, he said. What did? Th the mist. I turned behind and then back to Mark. I waited for a punchline or for him to break into a smile, but none came. Let's keep going. I found myself on edge. The mist enclosing us had a sudden menace to it. As we climbed it, it only grew thicker. I buttoned up my coat and against the cold, it was like being high in the air and inside a cloud. We walked in silence. I called out after Polly half-heartedly. When I noticed Mark was no longer by my shoulder, I stopped and turned. I strode back down until I found him standing like a statue. He shook his head at me. He wanted to go down. I grabbed his arm and told him we had to keep going. It was our job and if Polly was up here, she was relying on us to find her. Mark is a big guy, but at that moment he looked small and fragile. He looked up to the sky and then back to me. He nodded and we continued. Up ahead, the trail turned to the left. As we approached, the bend shapes started to appear in the mist. At first, I took them to be the outline of branches leaning over the trail, but as we came closer, the outline stretched and deformed like clouds changing shape under a high wind. The shape coalesced into something that vaguely resembled the outline of a small child. I blinked my eyes and refocused and it was still there. The outline of a child running away from us, around the bend in the trail. I broke into a run and rounded the bend chasing after the shape in the mist. On the other side, there was nothing, only a blank wall of mist like before. Had I just imagined it, was my mind playing tricks? I turned to Mark to check if he had seen it, but Mark was not there. I ran back to the bend and rounded it again in the other direction. Mark? I ran a few more steps and still nothing. Mark? I called out again and again and again, but there was only silence. He was just there a second ago. He had been beside me when the bend came into view. I was sure of it. Or had he? We had walked in silence. Had he flaked, turned back, and left me alone? Surely not. Mark was a reliable guy, he wouldn't do that to me. Maybe I had a McAllister moment. But then, where was he? Mark? I called again and again. I ran 50 yards back down the trail and nothing. I stood with my hands on my hips, unsure of what to do next. I didn't want to walk back to the campground without Mark. I also didn't want to hike further up the trail alone. A pocket of warm air washed over me and back over my neck. It was as if someone pushed their mouth right up against my skin and exhaled. I snapped my head around and no one was there. I almost called out again for Mark and thought better of it. I took a few steps back up the trail towards the bend where I had seen the shapes in the mist. On my left where the rustle of leaves and a sharp crack of a twig snapped, I stopped and peered through the mist in the trees. Something in there moved. I leaned forward. A few feet above the base of a tree, a small pocket of mist turned into a circle. As I neared it, it coalesced into a face. The face of a child. A small girl. Polly. I jumped forwards and the face pulled back further into the forest. I called out to the girl and followed her into the forest. If she was up here, I had to look. I had to be sure. Soon, trees surrounded me. The mist hung as heavy around the trees as it had done on the trail. I looked left and right searching for the face I had seen or thought I had seen. No, it had to have been there. There again up ahead the vague outline of a small girl. 
I put the picture of Polly back into my head so that I knew that it was her. Red beanie, faded brown jacket, dark hair, and brown eyes. But as much as I tried to picture Polly, it was the other girl, Jessica, from the photo on the notice board that I saw. The blonde hair, the red puffer jacket, and that big smile. I couldn't shake the image. I followed the face of the girl in the mist. I skipped a few steps to catch up, but she disappeared. I stood panting a little and called out. And there she was, directly ahead, standing in a small clearing. Red puffer jacket and blonde hair, six-year-old Jessica. Six-year-old Jessica, who disappeared five years ago and was now here, still six years old. I squeezed shut my eyes and shook my head. When I opened them, she was still there, smiling up at me with that big, goofy grin. I trembled. This shouldn't be. It was Polly I was searching for, dark hair, red beanie. I'm looking for Polly, I said and immediately felt foolish. The child looked up at me, confused, and the smile was gone. She turned a circle on the spot, and when her face came back into view, her face was different. Not only was her face not there anymore, it was now dark, and she manifested a red beanie. It was Polly now, where it had been Jessica a second ago. Polly? I said. She made the same goofy smile as Jessica had in her photo. I shook my head and almost yelled at her. You are not real. This can't be real. The grin faded again, and her mouth twisted into a grotesque snarl. Her mouth opened wide and then wider still, unnaturally so, and her crooked child's teeth morphed into razor-sharp fangs. The moment before I turned to run, I locked with the creature's eyes, yellow and menacing. I raced through the trees, desperately seeking the trail. I swung my head around, and in the mist, a wall of faces closed in from behind. I gave an involuntary yelp and forced myself to look away. When I finally found the trail, I turned and ran at full speed down and... When I finally found the trail, I turned and ran full speed down and toward the campsite. Mark be damned, I didn't want anything to do whatever with whatever... Mark be damned, I didn't want anything to do with whatever was hiding in the forest. I turned back and before I could process anything, I hit a wall in the trail and tumbled to the ground. It was Mark. I scrambled to my feet and Mark stared at me with eyes filled with terror. Did you see it? I didn't answer him. I grabbed him by the arm and started down the trail. We had to get down. Mark made a noise, a half laugh, half cry, and I turned and followed his outstretched hand. There, standing near the trees, was Polly. But it wasn't Polly. She stood there and watched us, with an arm held out, beckoning us into the forest. Don't look at it! I fixed my eyes on the trail ahead, trying to give myself tunnel vision. In my imagination, the faces sprung up again on each side. I covered my head and yelled at them to stop, and then as if someone flicked a switch, I felt the warmth of the sun on my face. I looked up and saw the blue of the sky. We were out of it. We slowed to a walk. When we came back to the playground, Kyle asked us if we were okay. He could see that we were shaken up. I didn't know how to explain what we had seen, so I told him that we did not find Polly. The team at the base had not found her either. I am convinced of two things. Polly went missing on that trail somewhere in the mist, and whatever we saw was not her. There is a second photo hanging on our notice board. Polly has joined Jessica, two girls taken by something lurking in the mist. Thanks for listening to these creepy and downright strange small town horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button silly so it really knows you mean business. Subscribe if you're new to the channel as it really helps us grow. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description. Or if you're on Reddit, you can submit it at r slash the dark swamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, please be sure to give the show a five-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. I would definitely have to say that last Park Ranger story was my favorite. There's something about the Smoky Mountains that I just love growing up in that area, and also just knowing how the mist is there, I can definitely attest to how creepy it is, and it makes a good scary story for sure. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff, and I'll see you soon with another creepy episode.